As the over a third team, we would like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who have shaped and contributed to netball over the decades. Welcome back to another edition of the Over a Third podcast, the Edge of the Crowds Australian Netball podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and tonight back, as usual, we have Ariana and Steph. Uh, Ariana, how are you? I am okay. I'm honestly kind of just like mentally preparing for the amount of netball I will be consuming in the next week or so, but it won't be as an intense netball experience as Steph is gonna have because Steph where are you going uh this time tomorrow I will be on a plane to South Africa and I am very excited to be courtside in Cape Town for part of the next two weeks (laughs) (laughs) it is going to be sensational and we are going to talk plenty about the netball world cup but before we get to that, there's been just a little smidge of news <laughs> in uh, netball in Australia over the last two weeks since we last saw you. So last time we uh, had an episode, it was shortly after the Super Netball Grand Final, a thrilling match won by the Thunderbirds. And since then, we have been told that, firstly, the 2026 Commonwealth Games will no longer be going ahead in regional Victoria and at this stage are not going ahead at all. And now we're not going to go into the ins and outs of the mechanisms and decisions and errors that came to uh, the cancellation of those Commonwealth Games. But I think it is a big deal for netball. Um, It's one of the two pinnacle events. And now we're looking in a position where that pinnacle event may no longer run. And netball is going to need to find a way to respond in some way and work out what it's going to do in in between or instead if the Commonwealth Games don't go ahead. Yeah, and I think the biggest blow on this front is to our wonderful players um and in particular you know i think about all the conversations we've had in the lead up to the diamond squad announcement but also all the other teams announcements and you know the conversations around amy parmenter's next cap off the rank you know like she'll be there through those major events for the next cycle and now it's looking like one of those major events isn't might not be a thing (laughs) so you know, I think there's just all those all those players that were on the cusp, players that have unfortunately been injured in the lead up to World Cup or um, or who were injured for Com Games, who are absolutely, you know, going to be gunning for that that spot in their team for the next Com Games in Victoria. I think that's just got to be a, a big blow to that and to that development and, and those goals for those players. Yeah, definitely. And I think it sort of opened up again the discussion for netball and the Olympic Games, which we won't get into because that is a can of worms. But it will be interesting to see if that this is a push in the direction of netball being in the Olympic Games. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, netball's not... I mean, um, we've said a few times that I don't think netball belongs in the Olympics. And I don't think that this actually strengthens the case for it to be in the Olympics. Um because now we really only have 16 countries competing in netball um, in the World Cup 
And so every four years, we're only getting a pinnacle event that's got 16 teams. And, you know, the Olympics is massive and you need to have a, a wide draw. And there just isn't that at the moment. I think actually Netball needs to work out how to expand that net and what to do. And um, cricket faced a similar problem about a decade ago. And I can say very resoundingly that it absolutely did not work out how to solve this. It just kind of swept it under the rug enough that it almost just went away. Um, and I really hope that Netball doesn't do the same because it doesn't have billions of dollars of broadcast deals from India to prop it up. Um, so I don't know what Netball will do in response to the Com Games news, but I think it will need to find some sort of solution. I think like there's definitely more countries that are playing netball other than the 16 that are going yeah, to World absolutely. Cup. absolutely. You know, obviously Northern Ireland has missed out this time. Samoa has missed out this time. Some of those are more competitive than others. <laughs> um, but, you know, there is that development and there are other teams who are absolutely gunning to try and knock off you know, the two or three teams that continue to qualify for Com Games and for Netball, uh, Netball World Cup. Um, but it's just very hard, uh, given the investments that they have in their own countries. Um, I don't know. I'd like to see Netball in the Olympics. I, I still think, though, that for Netball to deal with that, it's dealing with the wrong end of the problem in that I don't think that Netball has an issue in that, that there are a lot of countries the 10 to 22, 23, 24 in the world are all fairly close. I think actually the bigger problem is the, the yawning gap between the top four and everyone else, maybe top five and everyone else. And that, you know, we were talking off air and we'll talk about later, but it will be a big shock if any of the top four teams lose a match. And, you know, we're not saying that about the FIFA World Cup, for example. Um, there aren't like four clear-cut teams that we've all just booked into the semifinals and we'll say, we'll see you in five weeks for it. Like we are going to see upsets and close matches and surprises. And I think Netball needs to feel out that, for lack of a better term, middle class before it starts talking about the rest of the issues. But we will see what happens with the Commonwealth Games. I expect there will be more news in the next few months. Um, as the Commonwealth Games Federation scrambles to solve its problem and work out what happens. Um, but we have also had some domestic netball news because... Finally. Drumroll, please. We now have an eighth team. Woo! Um, the eighth team will be operated by the Sports Entertainment Group, um, Craig Hutchinson's SEN Network. Um and for the rest of this year, we'll be operated in a caretaker fashion by Netball Australia. Um, and then SEN or SEG will take the keys on 1 January 2024. Um, SEG does have history with the um, kind of sporting ownership landscape. Um, it owns four basketball teams, um, the Otago Nuggets in the New Zealand NBL the Bendigo Spirit in the WNBL, the Perth Wildcats in the NBL, and the Southern Hoi Ho in the Women's New Zealand Basketball Comp. Um, 
so I think there are some real positives about SEG, but also I think there are some pretty big negatives. Um, the team we understand were based in Southeast Melbourne. There are some whispers about the Waverley Netball Centre, but we don't have anything uh, hard yet. And we'll hear more about that in coming weeks. There is no coach yet. We have heard that Tracy Neville may be on her way to that coaching spot, but nothing concrete. Um, no news on a GM yet. No news on a team name, colors, stadium, or anything like that. Now that we have an eighth team, um, if the CPA and all the TPAs are signed by the end of the World Cup, then this signing period will open on the 7th of August at 9am, which is the day after the World Cup. If the TPAs and the CPAs are not all signed by that time, then that will be the window that clubs are allowed to have non-binding conversations with players outside of their club, because at the moment clubs are allowed to talk to their players Collingwood players and players not currently in the SSN system. Um, but that would create a free-for-all. And I think if we have a non-binding window where teams can have discussions, that's just going to fuel gossip and chaos. And there'll be teams that are having more binding or less binding, non-binding conversations. Um so I think everyone is hoping that the TPA and the CPA will be signed by then, but it's anyone's guess if they will be. What do we think? I mean, it's been, it feels like a long time coming, but it also hasn't been because we haven't known for that long that we needed another eight team. But um, as predicted, because by the end of it, it was only two Victorian groups that were interested Um I am interested about the fact that Netball Australia will be operating it a bit. Me too. Um, yeah, and I wonder when that information was made available to those interested and whether that was something they knew was going to happen from the beginning or it was dependent on perhaps who put in the bid, like it was a conditional thing, like, okay, we'll let you have the team but we get to um, take the reins for a bit. I doubt I, I that's something we'll ever know. <laughs> I actually think it was probably the other way. I think it was more likely to be, we'll take the franchise, but we can't start until 1 January. Honestly, so good call. you have to handle it in the interim. And I think that, that look, we, we don't have the agreement. And I think that the license agreement in this case is actually going to be a really important document because it will govern a lot of the things like how players are contracted because I heard someone suggest that um, players would be contracted to what Netball Australia are essentially calling the subsidiary corporation. So they're going to set up a, a body outside of Netball Australia to run this team, which is a really weird thing to do for a short run of time but so is having someone else run your team for four months while you get yourself sorted i um, guess I would just... part of that be so there's not favoritism for the short time that the you know yeah absolutely netball australia can't run the club from within mm. its own umbrella body that's how you create issues but yeah um it also just creates things like conflict of interest and things like that because you've got the high performance unit is under Netball Australia and that's diamonds. And so you don't want there to be any sort of extra link between the diamonds and any of the super netball teams. But 
it creates a weird position where the GM of the SEN team, which is what we will call it until it has a name or a location or something else, is that GM going to be appointed by Nepal Australia, by their corporation for four months? And what happens if SEN doesn't like that GM? You know, are we going to have a new GM in, in four months? What about coach? Um, you know, who, who is appointing the coach who is running the appointment process? All of these sorts of things are really kind of up in the air. And I think that when we talk about how this eighth team is going to come into existence, there are two parts to it. So the first is this short run period. And then the second part is the SEN license as a whole. And there are some real benefits to the SEN license as a whole. Um, they're not the same as Collingwood in that they do have existing experience running sporting teams, but unlike Collingwood, they come from a basketball background and that means that they're used to being a small sport. They're used to being a women's sport. They're not going to come in and say, we're a footy club. We know how to do this. Rah, 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 rah. And We've been here for 100 years. Piss everyone off on the way through. Um, <laughs> it was fairly clear from Netball Victoria's statement that they will not be sharing their <laughs> valuable <laughs> database information with the SEN team. And they will not be cooperating with them and that their focus is on the Vixens 100% in 2024. Which me, Daniel, yeah. they fully support another team in Victoria. Yes, they fully support the existing... The concept of... Uh... <laughs> but we support them existing over there. So <laughs> that you, statement you guys get this side of the city and this is as and do not touch, do not yeah, touch our mean, lower teams. That, that <laughs> statement read along the lines of we want you to exist but you're not our problem to fix or to help or to deal with. So let's hope Which it's not a repeat. It's fair because Netball Queensland have taken largely the same view with the Sunshine Coast Lightning and they've taken the attitude that they can treat the Queensland Five as training partners as their feeder team and that's <laughs> Like, do whatever It's called sharing. <laughs> and who doesn't want to go to the sunny <laughs> But But I do think that the fact that SEN have come from small sports and from women's sports gives them a massive leg up on Collingwood in terms of getting it. Um, I think they will still have a lot to learn and they were pretty clear that they think they have a lot to learn as well. Um, we love self-awareness. It was an accelerated timeline, they said. They said that they were always intending on having a netball team, but maybe not this quickly. Um, but I think that they get it, and that's a positive step for the league, and hopefully they are in it for the long run. But mm. how it all works will still kind of remain to be seen. And I think until we see a coach and a GM and a name and a location and a fan base and a stadium and a training facility... This all still feels really theoretical. Yeah, especially though, when you say it like that. <laughs> we have an eighth team, but we know nothing about them. And I think until we have something about them, we really can only talk about them in the theoretical rather than in the practical. Yeah. I think the other interesting tidbit, which I'm also going to claim is a very nice segue to our next piece of news, Um is the implications of the potential signing period post-World Cup. Um, the Netball Super League in the UK has had their signing window 
essentially sort of opened and closed from the 19th of June to the 14th of July for teams to register 10 of their 12 players um, and all the remaining two registered players, which potentially are kind of marquee players or potentially kind of keeping a window open for some potentially big names from uh, the Suncorp Super League to be poached across uh, can be registered until the 25th of August. Um, so there's a bit of a big window there that some of those NSL teams in the UK could be looking to really try and convince and clinch some <laughs> some big names to come across. Um, that is a very good fact, Steph. Mm. Mm. You're welcome. Get list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> technically, the uh, announcement window for the NSL, uh, the NSL starts on the 7th of August as well. Um, and have a deadline of up to the 15th of September to reveal their full squads, um, which I believe is also including the three extra training partners. Um, but uh, the one signing that we have, of course, already heard about, and I imagine they got some special dispensation <laughs> to announce it, uh, is the Jeeva Mentor will be indeed leaving Suncorp Super Netball and going across to uh, Leeds Rhinos back in the UK Netball Super League. Yeah. I would I mean, say it's a surprise, but it's a not necessarily a surprise. Would you guys agree? I'm yes. not even sure. I'm not even sure I call it a surprise. Like her <laughs> agent was was straight up saying this in code sports oh, articles true. as soon as Collingwood folded it was like well or as soon as the CPA was it was like well my client's going to go back to NSL because she needs the security like we basically had that from the second and I know that Jeeva Mentor said that she had eight offers across three leagues mm. but I wonder what the sum of those offers were clearly designated as bench players you know with all due respect to one of the greatest netballers she is no longer at the height of her powers she is still tactically certainly kind of wily but she doesn't have the physical abilities to still mix it with some of the young stars and i think that this year she was okay in Super Netball, it follows last year where she was not as good as okay. Um, and I think that she's in the downward trajectory. And I think her signing on at Super Netball going forward is probably a stretch anyway. And so this kind of really wasn't a shock at all. Yeah, there were some very interesting sort of, I guess, quotes and statements made by both Jeeva and her agent after she was signed, including the, um, you know, she was offered this by the, you know, X amount of um, contracts by X amount of leagues. And like, I get why doing that is, I guess, relevant if you want to give, you know, the middle finger to Netball Australia, but it did feel, it did feel a bit, a bit weird. It was kind of like, saying, well, I I guess, like, oh, I've chosen this, blah, blah, blah. And obviously she did choose it. Like, I'm sure there were 
offers from other teams but it just felt it just it just felt weird and kind of unnecessary to be like um I actually got offered this and this and this but I chose to go here I think it's also interesting um you know again looking to our our Twitter family and and social media family to let me know if I'm wrong but I don't think we've had officially anyone from Leeds Rhinos defense end say that they're not returning <laughs> um, to Leeds and uh, the NSL does tend to have a lot more of a, um, a, a mix in terms of people moving between clubs season to season but I do look at their sort of team list and I'm like oh who's <laughs> who's heading out the door with Jeeva coming on board um, you know potentially it is Gemma Donohoe Donohue Gemma Donahue, who went across from being a Giants training partner um, when some of the South African signings that Leeds had couldn't uh, make it for the season. So maybe she did sort of say that she was going across and intending to come back to Australia at the end of the season. But, um, you know, one would think that if she was offered a kind of continued full-time contract, she'd perhaps keep that opportunity going in the UK. Mm, that's kind of spicy. Somebody tell us. Somebody, <laughs> somebody Google that. Yeah, I, I think it will be interesting to see how that all fits together. Um, mm. The other signing that is super netball adjacent so far is that we've had the announcement that Kalia Yongi has signed on at Pulse. And that completes their team, which means there is just now one team in the ANZ Premiership missing a player and that's the tactics we're missing a midi who (laughs) is almost certainly a super netball player um just by process of timing and elimination this is that the new zealand signing window is closed so they've signed but they haven't announced presumably on the basis that they may have an intention to break that contract if they get a certain super netball offer um because that's the only reason I could think why you wouldn't have announced it unless it's someone who's jeopardizing something by being announced early. Mm. But I can't. Who see are they it. sitting on? Well, I can't Which see one of his is it? I can't see any of the diamonds having signed on with polls. Oh, sorry, with tactics. Um, given that the diamonds midquarters are <laughs> Watson, who is a Vixen's lifer. Bradley, who is literally <laughs> leading Swifts, um, Price and um, Braz, Braz, who is retiring. Hmm. Um, Suspicious. Maloney is the reserve. I can't see any of them signing on at Tactics, and they would be the only ones who would be directly jeopardizing the spot. So I wonder what the domino is to fall, but. It's presumably a super netball player at Tactics, and it's a great step for Kali Yongi, who will get the opportunity to play more regularly at Pulse um, and mm. will be part of the 10 rather than a substitute player like she has been at the Swifts in the last few years. The other uh, potential I wonder with Tactics, I think it's much more likely the scenario you have outlined, Dan, but because the New Zealand League operates where netball new zealand holds the kind of primary contract for 
teams to get import players is actually an extensive process, um, part of which, as I understand it, involves proving that that talent does not exist locally. And I think I recall that when Steele was trying to bring George Fisher over, although it might have been a different goal shooter <laughs> and a different team, um, there was an incident where multiple applications had to be made to Netball New Zealand to bring an import player across. Um, so potentially it could actually just be bureaucracy <laughs> holding up the announcement, but I think it's potentially a lot more spicy than bureaucracy. There is that there is a whole other conversation to have about <laughs> that whole philosophy in New Zealand because they have a almost a reverse philosophy for the All Blacks. Um, but there's something weird about New Zealand sporting teams and, and how they handle domestic leagues. But that's for another podcast. <laughs> that's um, an off-season analysis. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about in the news before we jump into the first of our kind of spicier chats for the evening? That's enough news. So it's time to get a little bit spicy. Um and I thought for tonight, what we might do is we'll put ourselves in the position of GM of Team SEN. You are the general manager and they, the, the organization has come to you and said, who are the two players at the top of our list to sign? Who is at the top of your board? Who are you starting with to sign and why? Well, I'm looking at this in slightly realistically because i am going to be the general manager um so breaking news breaking on the news. Third podcast <laughs> breaking news i'm actually the general manager um i moved to melbourne and i just love the southeast southeastern suburbs but i've picked people who i think would be like open to leaving the team that they're at and and we talked about her last episode, Dan brought her up for the Lightning, but I think Kira Austin might like Melbourne and she wants to stay. So she is my top pick because why would you not want one of the Diamonds and I think a very good up-and-coming player? Steph, who's your foundational piece? <laughs> my foundational piece is... Um, you know, following the philosophy of defense wins premierships as the new team, you want to hit that ground running real quick. Um, so I'm bringing in Fumi Fiduju across from the NSL. I'm throwing a lot of money at her. She can, she is versatile. She can play goalkeeper, goal defense, and wing defense. But when you absolutely unleash her in goal defense, she is winning ball like there is no tomorrow. So um, that is my. That is the start of my spine. Something about these 22-year-old versatile <laughs> defenders, Fumi, Latanya Wilson, like they just terrorise super netballers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. No, she's not even 22. Is she not? No, she's 20. She's younger than me. She's still only 20. Oh, my God. Now I just feel she's, old. She's just a baby. <laughs> she was born in 2002. Oh, oh my, my God. God she's also <laughs> just a wonderful human. Um, I understand that the when she wins player of the match in the NSL, she donates that money to a local charity that she also spends time um, volunteering her time at. So, Oh, we stand know, that. Yeah. You know, like what a great character to bring in and have 
be a centerpiece for your team, your new team. Yeah, I'm sold. Yep. <laughs> That's right. You're going to have wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think we should just stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Steph nailed it. Next. <laughs> but Daniel, who would you start with? Uh, I'd start with Hannah Mundy. Um, that is Victorian Nepal royalty. Um, you know, she, she comes from a, a family that is Victorian Nepal. Um, she's a young player. She's going to be the center of your team, the face of your team for the next eight to 10 years. Uh, she's a versatile mid-quarter. She can play across two positions and she needs more court time. I mean, it's, it's a match for her as well. And it's a match for you and, I think that in a league like the Australian League, like the Super Netball League, you need to have high-powered midcourt. Otherwise, you just cannot keep up. And so start with a good one. I Yeah, look, I if you didn't pick her, I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, I definitely agree. And I think having someone who is familiar for Victorian fans is going to be really important because you want to, kind of learning from the mistakes that Collingwood made, you want to build a fan base really quickly. And so having someone that they all know and can identify quickly, I think is your starting point. Yeah. I mean, Collingwood brought, stole the Vixens captain of Maddie Brown across. Um, And that still didn't necessarily help them on that front. There's a reason I didn't pick Liz Watson. (laughs) (laughs) It did. Um. Steph, seeing as we went to you second, we'll go to you first for who is the second player on your board. Yeah, so shock twist from pre-recording. As much as I love <laughs> Naya Allen, I've actually locked in Matisse Leatherbarrow, which... I like guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked you like this, Dan. Shocked. Um, sarcasm. Um, no, Matisse, I think I think current indications are that Joe is trying to stick around for a few more domestic seasons. Um, Matisse Leatherbarrow should absolutely have a starting position. She is a dominant uh, target in your shooting end that you can get ball to but she is also versatile enough to move around um, so again sort of in a similar vein to the Hannah Mundy pick like this is someone who should be looking for more court time should be looking to be a starting seven player um, and so why not move down south for that opportunity while you know having a, a great um a great player come into the eighth team who will absolutely grow more and more with every minute of extra court time she has. And Ariana, who would be second on your board? Well, actually, another Giants team member. We did have a bit of discussion about this off air um, in which we were talking about Lauren Moore and how she got a reasonable amount of court time at the end of the season. But I have a few worries about her and court time next year. I think the Giants might sign someone who could overshadow Lauren um, now that April Branley's gone. And I think, so like the move for her might be good, but also I think she's a decent player and should get more court time anyway. Um, 
So if she was on the starting seven for a new team, I suspect she would probably get that. Yeah, makes sense. And I think having someone who has the versatility um, to to play both goal defense and goalkeeper is going to be handy. I think versatility is mm. very much the name of the game in Super Netball. We saw that with both the teams that made the grand finals. They have 10 players, all of whom, or almost all of whom, can play multiple positions. So I think that makes sense. And I think she's had some good experience while still sort of being on the younger end as well. So I think she would be a good investment. That makes sense. And for you, Dan, your final pick? Uh, I have also gone for a goal shooter. Um, I've gone for a familiar face for Melbourne. Uh, in Shimona Nelson, who I think is one of the great young rising goal shooters. I think over the last three or four years, we've seen massive strides in her game. And I think she's now at the top flight of goal shooters up there with Janiel and Donnell. Um, and I think that that is someone who I would want to base my team around and start to build a sort of long-term plan with. So we almost have a starting seven um, RIP to the midcourt, but... <laughs> I think that the other thing is that you can find that there is a massive midcourt depth in Australia. Yeah. Um, much more than there is depth at the bookend positions. And I think if you prioritize the bookend positions, you know, and fill those out and have the confidence that you can find top flight midquarters. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of top five midquarters. I mean, Tyler Orr, um, Lily Gorman-Brown um, both played minutes as um, training partners on the two grand final teams. Um, the Lightning have about seven players who play wing defense, courtesy <laughs> of their three ACL injuries last season. There are two Kranzberg training partners at Fever in the midcourt. I mean, there is an embarrassment of riches across Australia in midcourt positions, a training partner. And I think if you can have a young, talented midcourter with a couple of experienced heads, you're probably well on your way. Um, but bookends are a little bit harder to find. So anyway, contact us for general management, um, team selection. <laughs> or if you want help being placed on the eighth team and you're a player, give me a ring. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the um, business. But enough self-plug from me. It's time to talk World Cup because that is going to take up a lot of time over the next two weeks. And Steph, I think you can brief us on your trip, right? So like who's playing and when? <laughs> <laughs> who's playing? Who are you watching? When are you seeing? <laughs> who's winning? No, no, we don't need you to give up your location and timing you know, <laughs> we don't need that you can but like, find tell us about the World Cup. <laughs> seat two mm, yeah <laughs> this is the address i'm staying at in cape town <laughs> <laughs> send me uh, here for the record i said we didn't need that <laughs> <laughs> um yes so netball world cup uh will feature 16 teams which is very exciting um the top uh essentially the sort of top four um uh, based on world rankings uh qualify plus the host nation automatically um which essentially worked out to be the top well 
top five, um, depending on when you were looking at the rankings. Um, Uganda also uh, ended up qualifying because South Africa was the host country um, before the World Cup qualifiers that we have all, I'm sure, been eagerly watching over the past year or so. Um, there are then, I want to say, five regions <laughs> um, that have qualifiers and the top two teams from each region go through to the World Cup, which is how we get our 16 teams. It's also how we end up with uh, Scotland and Wales qualifying um, as the two teams that yeah, topped that qualifying round for Europe. Um, and have seen Wales knock Northern Ireland out of the World Cup um, the, since, yeah, in the transition from 2019 to this year. So uh, the way that the World Cup will actually operate across the two weeks is uh, quite confusing. Um, and I think I need one of those white bulbs from that meme to actually understand it. But we know that at the start, <laughs> there are four pools of four teams. Pool A will feature uh, the wonderful Australian Diamonds, go Diamonds, uh, the Tonga Tala, the Zimbabwe Gems and the Fiji Pearls. Uh, pool B will be the England Roses, the Malawi Queens, uh, the Scottish Thistles and the, the Barbados uh, team as well. Uh, the top three teams across those two pools will go on to a fifth pool, pool F, pool F. Um, uh, and they will then battle out for a semi-final position. Um, <clears throat> and then we have the other two preliminary pools, pool C and pool D. Pool C is definitely the spiciest one to keep an eye on with Jamaica in there, South Africa, the host nation, who have very clearly said that anything but a medal at this World Cup is unacceptable, um, but obviously have a really hard road ahead of them, being in the same pool as Jamaica, who were the silver medalist at the Com Games last year. Um, pool C, Jamaica and South Africa are joined by Wales, who are returning to the World Cup, um, and Sri Lanka. And then they will at some point cross with Pool D, which currently features New Zealand, Uganda, Trinidad and Tobago and Singapore. Uh, so that's that's a quick overview. And if anyone, I mean, a round of applause for Steph for getting through mm. explaining how there are six pools when there are only four pools. Mm, the math ain't mathing. Um, <laughs> I would like to have a word with whoever organised that because my goodness, that seems unnecessarily complicated. <laughs> um, and, and I guess, you know, given that we really only have the first three matchups and then, um, you know, three more matchups. And then, so we, we go through six matches of pool stages before we get to knockouts. Um, if you get eight games in 10 days, which is a pretty short run and a pretty intense period, which I guess is why we've got uh, reserves that can join the squad this time if a player suffers an injury. But, it's a little bit weird when you think about the fact that really you've got to be preparing for half of the teams at the World Cup for the pool stages. Uh, <laughs> yes. We, we are talking about a lot of like pre-scheduled matches. Um, 
by comparison, the FIFA World Cup, um, each team only has three scheduled matches and then there are four rounds of knockout. So you end up with seven games instead of eight um, spread across six weeks yeah. with only three of them preordained. Yes. I mean, as a lover of netball, I'm very pro more netball. <laughs> as but... someone who has to write match reports, I am less pro this format. As someone with limited hours, <laughs> um... Um, it is, I mean, it is a huge load for both coaches and players, though. Like, it is a phenomenal, um, yeah, tournament. But that's why it's the pinnacle event, I guess. Yeah, I think the the other thing is, and we've debated a bit before that. Um, realistically, we think that the top four teams are likely to be a long way ahead of everyone else, and there is an element that, um, you know, to make the final from the pool A or pool B side, you will have to beat either New Zealand or Jamaica, or whoever beats them. Um, and there's kind of a uh, simplicity to the fact. And then on the other side, you're almost certainly going to have to beat Australia or England. Um, and, and there is a kind of, there's an element of, because these top four teams are so far ahead that we almost kind of look at the first five matches, or the first six matches of this and go, well, it's going to be fun, but we'll wait until it gets spicy. Um, because no disrespect to, the other 12 teams at this World Cup or the other 11 teams, if we're going to put South Africa as close to the top four. But if Singapore does anything other than get thumped by New Zealand, um, and if they make it through to pool G, thumped by Jamaica and South Africa, <laughs> it will be a shock. Um, and we kind of just expect them to go and um, it's great for them to be here and to have a pinnacle experience, but I don't think we expect them to make a lot of noise here. And they're almost just playing out the string to an extent before the World Cup even starts. Whereas in smaller groups and with a different format that gives you more knockout matches, you do tend to get a bit more unpredictability. But because we have so many pool matches, that tends to result in the top teams rising to the top because even if they have an off day they survive a pool stage whereas in a knockout match if a top team has a bad day well now we've got some chaos i would like for some chaos please yeah i mean we all would but i think it's gonna be harder <laughs> yeah because we've essentially got six rap six matches of pool matches um so even if you have a bad one or even a bad two, you're still likely to end up winning four or five uh, right at the top. Yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, potentially the day after Com Games ended, you know, I was kind of getting a bit excited about Uganda and the team that they were putting together. You know, Uganda ended up yeah, finishing fifth at the Com Games and beating South Africa, who ended up sixth. Um, but there's been, you know, fortunately and unfortunately for those teams, a raft of changes where South Africa has brought Norma Plummer back to coach. There's been a bit of a bit of a refresh to the team. Um, some really exciting young talent has been sort of brought to bolster the spine of South Africa that we're used to seeing. 
Um, and on the flip side, unfortunately, Uganda has received a host of sort of medical issues to a lot of their team and their star players, which I think unfortunately will make Uganda, you know, uh, a less competitive team at this World Cup than than they looked 12 months ago. So um, really the, the early spice, if we're going to see anything, will probably be if South Africa can, can cause some upsets. Um, they've certainly got players set, saying in interviews at this point that they have been in Jamaica before and they're going to be absolutely gunning to try and do that again. And they've got the belief that they can do that. Um, but they are going to have to beat um, at least one of Jamaica and New Zealand, if not both, <laughs> to try and get into that semi-final. So it is an incredibly tough road for South Africa to uh, crack in there. And I think that unfortunately that, yeah, those probably other four teams of Australia, England, Jamaica and New Zealand are much more likely to have locked in um, a kind of finals berth with you know the rest of the teams then vying for the rest of the spots below yeah um with that said um i guess we we had the the two big questions that we had on the run sheet are can south africa crack the top four and who are the wild cards that we're looking forward to watching um so if we talk about wild cards um anyone have anything other than tonga on their list um i mean i'm definitely excited to see what barbados can put out this time as we spoke about on a previous episode they've brought in the corbin sisters who have previously played for um england you know is that going to be enough <laughs> to bring barbados up to to have a few well, have a few wins, unlike last year. <laughs> it, it is the hardest pull for that. I think the the two and three teams are very high quality in their pool compared to some of the other pools. Yes, definitely. Um, and the other one I do have on my list is Zimbabwe. Like, I am excited to see what they put out at this World Cup. The 2019 World Cup was their first pinnacle event that they qualified for. Um, so I think it would just be really exciting to see what gains they've managed to hold on to in four years. And, you know, they were kind of the, the wild card at last, at the last world cup. Um, a lot of teams hadn't, you know, played against them before, hadn't scouted, didn't have anything to scout <laughs> until they actually stepped onto the world cup stage for the first time. So, um, you know, there were some teams that were a bit like, oh, this is a very different kind of style that we're now having to play against. Um, so, yeah, it would be interesting to see what, what another four years down the track has done for the Zimbabwe team. Ariana, do you think South Africa can crack the top four? I mean, I'd like for them to, even if it's briefly because it's their home World Cup, but... Um... I am not optimistic, especially when we break down who they will have to beat to get to the top four. What about you guys? No. <laughs> no. Like, I, as much yeah. as I would like them to, I think that if they're on the other side, I, I think that they have a higher chance of beating England than they do of beating Jamaica. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate on the draw. I think that 
Jamaica were the second best team at the Netball World Cup last year. And uh, while I think New Zealand are going to be vastly improved on the Com Games group, um, I think Jamaica have also vastly improved. And uh, I think in my mind, actually, those top three sides have separated themselves, even from England a little bit. I mean, England has definitely mixed up their team a bit. Obviously, again, talking about spines, that spine is still there. They've still got the mentor, Gusketh, um, you know, combo, but they have added Liv Tashin and Fumi Fudoju into their team. They're taking five centre court players. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's odd. I think it will be unexpected if they yeah, managed to crack um, above fourth. But we've also seen what the wonderful Eleanor Cardwell can do and now has a full season and another, SS, well, an SSN premiership under her belt. So that'll be some some extra everything added to that team. But with only three shooters, is that too much load for those stars across what you have adequately described as quite an intense world <laughs> cup format um and i think the the big wild card is the tonga tula who are ranked seventh coming in are in pool a with australia zimbabwe and fiji who have perhaps the most decorated <laughs> and name recognized team for uh, a seventh placed team ever going into an apple world cup uh, the brand names uh, in the Tongan team with Kat Tuifati, Mohoni and Gerard and Hulida Vebe as kind of the leaders of this team is pretty high level there. Yeah, I mean, this is a spicy team. This is a team that uh, at their most recent series went undefeated through the series against, um, including against Malawi, I think. Obviously, again, not a Malawi that was at a full strength because um, SSN and NSL were still both playing. Um, but, you know, they've, they've got some momentum in the team. They've got some belief in the team. And now they've added some superstars to the team that, again, they didn't have at some of these series. So, Yes, but with all due respect, Moni and Gerard has recently been appointed <laughs> to the Netball Australia board as a former athlete. Um <laughs> It has been a little while since she has worn a super netball uniform or a diamonds uniform. The same goes for Kat Tuvati. Um, and I think they have lots of name brand, but I think that if Tuvati and Gerard are playing key roles on court, this team is not going to go as well as if they are playing key roles in leadership and culture and minor roles on court. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about, you know, the other people that make up the Tonga team and, you know, is, uh, you know, are they really going to perform against Monia Gerard? Like, or, you know, in comparison to Monia Gerard, even if she has been a number of years since she's played yeah. at the highest level. Um, I do think Kat Tuovati is a particularly hard player to play with the um you know she is known for her flares and her tricks and her look away passes and her 
wild spins across <laughs> the circle. Um, and I think if you haven't had time to learn that and know how to anticipate that from her, which I imagine, yeah, Tonga has limited time, like many of the other countries, to really form a connection amongst their team. I, that is is my bigger question mark is, yeah, Kat is, is not an easy player to easily connect with. Yeah, I think there are some big question marks. I mean, I think Tonga will be interesting and hopefully there will be fun. But <laughs> again, I think that's probably all we can reasonably expect from them. I think the other thing that I'll sort of be keeping my eye on is, you know, if England end up fourth again or, you know, even somehow get pipped to somehow end up lower than that um, and potentially if one sort of other UK coach uh, ends up getting her Scottish team higher up the rankings than expected, I mean, I think there were a lot of questions about whether Jess should still be, Jess Thrillby should still be the English Roses coach after Com Games. Um, and I think everyone had sort of expected Thames and Greenway to be that English coach during this cycle. If Scotland do better than expected and England continue to underperform, is there a little switcheroo with some of that coaching? I don't know, but, but quite potentially, I guess. Um, I think Bryony Eagle will further enhance her reputation as the coach of Tonga. Uh, over this and I think actually this is a good chance Norma Plummer probably enhances her reputation Rob Wright continues to enhance his um, you know that there's a chance for some of these coaches of smaller nations to both the players who will be hoping to land on an NSL roster or a super netball roster as an import or a training partner even for some mm. of these smaller nations doubly so for the coaches who are looking to enhance their reputations as well and um you know, they can do that without necessarily achieving the same results that a player has to mm. um, if they can show the really good foundations. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the other exciting opportunity that will flow, again, reflecting on the UK Netball Super League um, signing window for those last two players and training partners. Um you know, undoubtedly that signing window exists because people wanted to see what talent there was at the Netball World Cup um, and what particular potential imports there could be to bolster a UK Super League um, team. We've seen, you know, Trinidad and Tobago's captain absolutely rocking it on court over there. Um, we've seen players from Zimbabwe and Uganda um, and Malawi get opportunities over in the UK league. So yeah, how how many how many other players will get an opportunity um, post World Cup to really step up into a new semi professional or professional environment? Be very exciting. Yeah, it will, and hopefully we'll get to see some of that um, and some players step out. But as a final step, there are twelve diamonds in the squad. Who do we think is in the starting seven for the first match? For the first match? Yeah. Now, <laughs> now you've thrown me off, Dan. 
Well, Naughty did, Dan. Did you want to go for the last match instead? <laughs> but like, I'm not. I'm not one to predict like injuries and form and things like that. Well, it was more. Th- I like. I think there'd be a. There'd be a different lineup for their first match as opposed to like their qualifying match or something. Like okay. their Trinidad and no, their wait, who are they playing? Yeah, I mean, I think it it. it Okay. Which philosophy also do you assume is being used for that first match? Okay. Is it against are, Zimbabwe? Yeah. Are we okay. consolidating Let's... a good seven, testing them out, or uh, are we putting on some restful players who are yeah. <laughs> not who gonna going to be the starting be... seven for a medal match? Who is the starting seven for the England match? Right. This is a better question. This is one that we're happy with. Now, we, now we, yeah. we're clear yeah. on the philosophy. And... Sorry. Sorry, okay. Dan, we came for yeah. you. Um, goalkeeper, like... who, who you got in goalkeeper? Bruce. I mean... Steph? I'm going to say... Clow. Ooh. I, because... I have Clow too. And Daniel, who's your goal defence? Bruce. <laughs> because that is also my goal defence. Wait, have I... <laughs> Ariana, are you going with Joe Weston at goal defense? Is that your, your answer? Because that's also not necessarily wrong. Like, yeah, it's, it's a very we'll legitimate. Say, we'll you... say that, and I'm going to roll with it, and not that I had trouble reading my notes. Because <laughs> it's also like, without a doubt, like Joe Weston is a very legitimate player as a goal defense. Like, <laughs> thanks, awesome. guys. Very good thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, Sunday Ariang's combination with Courtney Bruce is not to be sniffed at either. Like, it's, yeah. you know, there, <laughs> there are definite options there. Uh, um, uh, Steph, who do you have at wing defence? Uh, Ash Brazzle, hands down. Ariana? Also Braz. Oh, Dan's <laughs> got yep. Three for three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no Joe Weston for you, Dan? You're not going to uh, slide her across to wingding? Not uh, to start. Quite potentially. She's actually playing wing attack. Quite, quite possibly during the match, but probably not to start. Uh, centers. JLP. Spicy. Okay. <laughs> Oof. Uh... Steph, you and I both going with Paige Hadley. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> what's the R? Who's your wait? Is Watson your other? Yeah, Watson in wing yeah. attack. No, but. Oh yes, I think I think there could be a potential where you see Watson in centre and Hadley in wing attack. And um, Jail, okay, so JLP is just like have a little, you sit down, ma'am. Yes. I mean, th- th- there's no doubt that there are twelve phenomenal plays in the diamonds, but only seven of them can fit on a quarter at a time. Yeah, and I also think I think. You know, I think we'll see JLP in centre. We might even see her in wing defence in some of those other pool matches against Tonga, Zimbabwe and Fiji. I mm-hmm. think if we're talking New Zealand, potentially JLP gets the start in centre. But the revised question was, who's starting in centre against England? Paige Hadley. Okay, Slay. Wing attack is Watson. Watson. Yeah. Goal attack? Hmm. I think it has to be Steph Wood. Ariana? Yeah, I mean, that I look, there's a duo that I'm never really going to be able to see past. Sort of yeah. yellow, purple, 
tinted glasses sort of situation. <laughs> I'll admit it, it's fine. Okay, so we're going three for three with Watson, Wood, and Conan? Yeah. Steph? Mm. Steph got a spicy take. Um. Oh. No, I, yeah, I think I think Conan makes the most sense. I think the only tidbit could be if we uh, have scouted England and they are using Bumi Fadoju in Goalkeeper more than they're using Jiva Mentor. Mm. Potentially, you see a kind of stronger bodied Garbin go up against Bumi. Yeah. Uh, I don't. That I don't makes think sense. That yeah. An alternative. Yeah. Um, but you know, Ariana, as you spotted the other day, you know, Sophie Garvin's been running around with a GA bib. So who knows <laughs> what combos we could actually end up. Sophie seeing. Garvin also has plenty of experience matching up with Jiva Mentor in practice. Very true. So lots going on there. But we will be back. Uh, after the World Cup starts, but before the World Cup gets too deep, I don't know exactly when yet. Um, we will let you know as we get closer, but probably midway through the pool matches, we'll be back with another podcast episode. Um, at this stage, we're not looking at doing daily podcasts because Steph is in a different time zone and <laughs> that just makes things a little bit too tricky. Um, but we will have plenty of Nepal World Cup coverage, so make sure you follow us at Over a Third Pod and Edge of the Crowd on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And stay tuned to the feeds for uh, the next podcast episode. But in the meantime, Ariana and Steph, where can people find you? Well, Steph's going to have the best content ever, yes. essentially. Um, so... I guess if you want to see like mediocre Australia based content with no netball, um, it's Ariana S R V S on Instagram and Twitter. But Steph, if people want the real good stuff, where can they find you? Yes, I am Steph Ari Ara, S T E P H A R I A R A, both on Instagram and Twitter. Come along for my African journey with me. I will try to post many netball things and South African things um, before heading off deeper into Africa as well after the World Cup. I cannot wait for all the Instagram stories from the middle of Africa so from Safari. <laughs> yeah, the the you know ones from the Okavango Delta and the top of Kilimanjaro might be on delay because I don't think the uh, <laughs> Wi-Fi reception reaches there, but. Certainly for the first two weeks of Netball World, Con Netball World Cup content, there'll be plenty, plenty there. Well, that's something to very much look forward to. Um, and you can find me at Decopple wherever you like to pick your social media fights. Um, I have lots of FIFA Women's World Cup content at the moment. Um, you can hear me on the Australian World Cup podcast as well at the moment, um, which is Australian WC Pod on social media or in your uh, podcast feeds, however you get them. Um, but in the meantime, there'll be plenty of netball coverage as well. Um, so we would love for you to follow us along, hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And if you're enjoying us, um, check us a five-star rating, please. That'd be great. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
I miss the buttons. I miss the buttons. <laughs>